Football is back, and right now Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football with games being played nearly every day. And with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch all the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. We're recording this week's show in the aftermath of Chelsea's comfortable, if ultimately unnecessary, win against Wolves, which assured the Blues their place in next season's UEFA Champions League. Coming up, we'll reflect on that game, look ahead to the FA Cup final, and answer your questions. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Hello there, listener. Matt Davis-Adams here to bring you the latest instalment of our weekly Chelsea catch-up. Joining me this week are the Athletics' Chelsea experts, Liam Toomey. Hello. And Simon Johnson. Hello. Hello. Right then, to Sunday's date with Wolves. So two goals in first half stoppage time with just 144 seconds between them, in fact, saw Chelsea passed a very tame pack of Wolves at Stamford Bridge. Mason Mount's free kick and a fourth goal in as many games for Olivier Giroud meant the second half was a stroll for Lampard and co. Uh, Liam, you were at Stamford Bridge for the Athletic. Uh, overall impressions of the game, not quite as tense and dramatic as we thought it was going to be. No, I mean, there were a lot of Chelsea fans who were very, very anxious on Twitter ahead of kickoff because you haven't been able to trust this team consistently over the season. I think it was a, a tight, cagey game until Mason Mount's free kick broke it open. But from the moment Chelsea got the second goal um, from from Giroud, that lovely flowing move, it was never really in doubt. Wolves, Wolves couldn't really do anything to trouble Chelsea. Um, to be fair, Chelsea had controlled them pretty well, uh, even when the, the score was nil-nil. It reminded me a little bit of Chelsea's performance in the FA Cup semi-final against Man United, where they they just kept it tight and then took their chances, which is very un-Chelsea this season. And at the end, I think you got the impression that Lampard was just enjoying the rare experience of being able to celebrate a drama-free home win. Although, as you say, it ultimately wasn't required for Chelsea to, to get Champions League football. Simon, Liam mentions control there. Uh, at 54321CFC has tweeted this show. At Matt Davis-Adams, if you want to do the same, by the way. Uh, they say, encouraging how the team's game management has improved since that Arsenal catastrophe earlier in the year. Uh, that definitely does seem to have been something which they've worked on. And, and in this game, at least, they were able to contain what should have been a threatening opponent with um, with relative ease. Yeah, I mean, there have been a few moments, of course, few games where they didn't manage games too well since since uh, the Arsenal one. You know, West Ham springs to mind. Um, but I don't want to dwell on the negatives of, of, of the past because we should be um, congratulating and, and giving Chelsea all the praise in the world for, for getting the top four spot and, and doing it in a way that, as Liam suggests, was... Almost done in keeping with the season. It was drama free. It was 
It was a clean sheet, for goodness sake. I mean, it's like <laughs> the worst, one of the worst defences um, to ever finish in the top four managed to keep a clean sheet on the final day. And yeah, I mean, Wolves really surprised me. I mean, I think Chelsea had them under control, but Wolves had a lot to play for themselves. So it wasn't like it was an easy game for Chelsea. Wolves needed, with, with Tottenham getting the point against Palace, Wolves needed a result themselves to secure Europa League football. But they didn't really lay a glove on, on Chelsea. And um, yeah, it's it's a really significant result also because it takes them into, I know we'll get onto the cup final later, but to sort of end with a win ahead of the Arsenal game at Wembley, I just think that's key. You wouldn't want to scrape into the top four with the nervous performance and hang on in the dying minutes to sort of be able to cruise through a 90 minutes, don't feel under too much pressure and, and win the game, that they can go into Saturday's um, cup final with a lot of confidence, and rightly so. Uh, let's have a look at a couple of individuals. We want to start with somebody who didn't play, uh, Kepa. I think we would probably all be in agreement that, that it was the right call not to play him. His form has, has been so poor of late. Vivek asking, is this the end for Kepa? Uh, Liam, I know he's a world record transfer and Chelsea have invested a, a lot in him financially and, and in other terms as well, but it's difficult to see a way back for him now, isn't it? Yeah, there was a real finality um, to that team selection, I felt. It was a game where so much was potentially on the line for Chelsea. They're the main objective of the season was at least potentially on the line, depending on the result of the King Power. And for Lampard to favour a 38-year-old backup in Willy Caballero for a game like that was just more telling than anything he could say. And I know he said before the game, you know, quite diplomatically, it's just the choice. Kepa's had some difficult times. He has refrained from criticising Kepa, I think, publicly, even after his worst days this season. But that selection was a more powerful statement than anything he could have actually said. And it's at the point now where I think it would be a real shock if we see Kepper again this season in the last two games, given that Caballero went on and got a clean sheet in relative comfort and the way the defence plays in front of him. Um, And I think it would be a mild surprise if Kepper's still at Stamford Bridge next season because Lampard couldn't have made it any clearer at this point that he does not have any faith in Kepa as his number one. And it, it's going to be a big discussion internally at the club over the next few weeks because this is not the market to to sell big anyway, uh, unless you happen to own Kai Havertz. Uh, but it is um, going to have to happen, I think. Chelsea are going to have to find a way to, if not sell Kepa, then put him in a position where he can play somewhere else and maybe rebuild some value somewhere else. And Lampard needs a keeper that that he has more trust in and more belief that he can build his team around. And I think the in the conversations that they'll be having inside the club, Lampard can at least make the argument of, yeah, you're going to make a big loss on Kepa potentially if you sell him now. But the work that has been done this season in establishing Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Rhys James, Fikayo Tamori, Billy Gilmore as well, uh, will save Chelsea millions in the years to come. And you can maybe make the argument that that offsets what will inevitably be a big embarrassment if Chelsea do cut their losses on Kepa. The, the other thing that Chelsea are in a good position, like if there's one positive about that Kepa deal that they did a couple of years ago, is that they gave him a seven-year contract. So it does leave the option open to loan him 
and and hope that he goes and and plays very well at another club, probably back in Spain. Um, Sevilla and Valencia are two of the clubs that have been mentioned already. And even if those clubs can't afford to buy him, perhaps they can play him into the kind of form that will attract bidders from elsewhere to pay a lot of money. Um, I would be surprised if Kepa ever makes it at Chelsea now. I, I just think not only a Chelsea sort of perhaps falling out of love with him, um, but you almost feel like Kepa needs to just get away from Chelsea in the Premier League because he just his confidence is shot. And to be left out of Chelsea's deciding game to decide their place in the top four, that is that is a hammer blow to, let's be honest, you know, the guy is supposed to be the most expensive keeper in the world. That is some snub. The right decision by Lampard, but if you're Kepa, you're going to take that quite badly. And, of course, there is always the outside possibility that he starts the FA Cup final. I'd, I'd be surprised, but um, I, I just think it's best for all parties if um, if Kepa move somewhere else, even if it's just on loan for the time being. So the inevitable follow-up question, then it comes from Joel Tan. Uh, he says, keen to hear a discussion on who are the viable goalkeeper options if Kepa is being pushed out. It's it's an area where it's difficult to bring through young players, but I'm not sure there's a, there's an outstanding goalkeeper in the academy. And Nathan Baxter might be one to, to look at in a few years' time. But Simon, the, the names that we hear linked are Jan Oblak and, uh, and Onana at Ajax as well. Are they the two most likely candidates? And, and how difficult would it be to, to price somebody like Oblak away? I mean, Oblak will be very difficult because of the price. Um, his wages are huge as well. Um but Atletico Madrid, from from what you sort of garnering from Spain, there they are in some kind of some kind of pressure to sell a, a key player, um, and Oblak would certainly qualify for that. Look, if Chelsea could get Oblak, that would obviously be a, a massive coup. But I think his release clause is over a hundred million pounds. Atletico certainly wouldn't be under any pressure, uh, given his contract situation, to to negotiate lower than that. Um, so that would be a tough deal to do. Um, Dean Henderson is another one, but of course, why would Man United strengthen a rival? Um, Anana, who who was covered in um, David Ornstein's column quite recently, that one seems like an easier deal to do because um, Ajax have pretty much openly said that he's available. He costs £30 million. It's a deal that can be done. It's just whether Chelsea see him as the long-term superb answer that's going to make Chelsea sort of solve that problem for years to come. Is he is he sort of oblack kind of level? I haven't seen enough of him to say, but um, I think anyone anyone's a bit of an upgrade on Kepper at the moment. I'm afraid to say. I think another thing that counts in Anana's favour over Oblak is maybe the style of team that Lampard is trying to build. You know, Oblak, there's no doubting his talent as a as a as a shot stopper, but he's maybe not quite as accomplished with his feet. He's not um as accomplished playing in a team that, that defends high up the pitch because that's not generally the way Atletico play, at least not in, in the games that really matter. Whereas Anana has been schooled in that fashion at Ajax. You know, he's he he, he has a good passing range, he is confident on the ball, in addition to be being solid at the fundamentals. It's just as Simon says whether Chelsea believe he's good enough to be the answer that they're looking for. 
Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to find out. I'm sure Petr Cech's having um, a fair amount of input into into that discussion as well. If we focus on a couple of players who I'm certain will be at Chelsea next season, although the first one was in doubt for a long time, Olivier Giroud. Manning asking, what do we do with Olivier Giroud next season? Liam, do you think at his age he will start the next campaign as the first choice striker or is, it, is he going to be plan B if Werner doesn't hit the ground running? I'm inclined to say that he he will continue to be um, a plan B, which won't necessarily please Giroud. He's been open about the fact that he he wants to play more than he has been. Um, but what an insurance policy to have! I mean, he, there's an argument for saying that he saved Chelsea's season in an attacking sense because I think as good as Tammy Abraham has been for stretches, the the burden was beginning to wear on him, not least on his body, picking up injuries here and there. His confidence, I think, has, has been affected in, in the last few weeks. He's struggled to get his rhythm back since the restart. And Giroud's goals and all-round performances, all the little things that he does, the link-up play, the hold-up play, have been absolutely vital. Um, and he's come up big for, for Chelsea in, in big moments. Uh, I can't see him being first choice because I think Chelsea long-term want to build around Abraham and Werner. We, we wait to see how Lampard will fit those together, if he'll even try to fit them together. But the competition's going to get even even tougher for Giroud. But there's no doubting that he, if he if he does stay, um, which I, I think he, he will do, he'll continue to be a, a really valuable option. Harry's sponsors straight out of Cobham. As a listener of this podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and a travel blade cover by going to harrys.com slash Cobham right now. That's harrys.com slash Cobham. I've been using my Harry's razor during lockdown and I can assure you that it is the smoothest, most comfortable shave that you can find. harrys.com forward slash Cobham. So Olivier Giroud, probably Chelsea's player of the second half of the season. If you were to to pick a player of the season, Simon, Mason Mount would be pretty high up on that list, I guess. And and on Sunday against Wolves, he kind of underlined what's been a pretty incredible debut campaign in, in the top flight of English football for, for somebody at 21 years old who seems to have the world at his feet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a few months ago when I was asked, to, I think by a reader on, on The Athletic to name my player of the season, it was Mason Mount. Um there's no doubt he's had uh, peaks and valleys, as you'd expect in terms of form throughout the season. But this is his first season at, at Chelsea. And, and that's the stat that flashed up the other day, the first homegrown player to make 50 appearances in his debut season um, is is something to be proud of in itself. But just at the end here, he's, he's come up with some key goals, some key performances um, and that, that free kick against Wolves really settled the side down and it was a sublime bit of skill. Um, I think you can only get better. And, you know, of all the youngsters, you would have to say he seems to be the one that Lampard loves the most. And, and, and you can sort of see why, because he, even when he's not at his best, he's always giving 100%. Um, and he comes off sort of giving his all. And And don't forget as well, he's had some setbacks recently, um, being hauled off at half time a couple of times, um, he was let, he, he finally lost his hundred percent appearance record in the Premier League. I think it was against Norwich when he was an unused sub. But he he's not someone that puts his head down and lets these kind of 
minor setbacks get to him. You know, he comes back the next game and, and plays well, as he as he showed again at, at Wembley against Man United. So, yeah, he's definitely, whether you agree with me, whether he's the best player or not, he's definitely one of the best players Chelsea have had this season, certainly one of the most consistent. We'll look ahead to the FA Cup final shortly. But before we do, final thoughts on, on the Premier League campaign as a whole. Liam, you have to say it's a success because Chelsea finished fourth. There were a couple of hairy patches in there. But looking back on the season as a whole, you know, there are only two occasions when Chelsea lost back-to-back games in the Premier League. So they've never had a, a really massive slump, even though they've put in some pretty ranked performances at times. Yeah, and I think that's been the, the key reason why they've ended up uh, securing Champions League qualification. The fact that Lampard has always been able to get a response when he's needed one. A, a blip has never been allowed to become a sustained rut. Uh, and that's really encouraging, I think, for, for Lampard's future overseeing this this rebuild because he, he, he needs to be able to, to reach these players consistently and get them to to come back losses are inevitable I don't think Chelsea are planning on losing 12 games in a season again anytime soon and I had a quick look back for the piece that I wrote after the the Wolves match at previous seasons and Chelsea's final tally of 66 points would have got you fourth in one of the last 10 seasons so they've certainly benefited from the staggeringly low quality of the the overall top four race the fact that Manchester United were a mess until the turn of the year, really Tottenham have disintegrated and as have Arsenal. But, you know, they did what they had to do. And if you look at the the bottom line results that they've managed to maintain as a Champions League club in a season when one of their world-class players left in Eden Hazard and the other one, N'Golo Kante, missed almost as many Premier League games as he played. I think that's a, a, a brilliant achievement. And when you add to that what they've done in establishing so many good young academy players. Chelsea are really well set up now to to kick on. Simon, just before we move on, we should give a, a figurative pat on the back to Pedro, who it was confirmed had played his last Premier League game for Chelsea after this game. Got that brilliant record of, of Chelsea never having lost any of the 39 games that he scored in, winning 37 of them. Look back in, in years to come as a kind of unsung hero of this period of Chelsea's history? Yeah, a little bit, because weirdly, you know, for a guy that's won so much at Barcelona and, and with Spain, you, you wouldn't sort of say that the Premier League sort of um, uh, gave him much attention in the, in the five seasons he was here. Um, but I think Chelsea fans won't forget him um, because he, he just had this knack of scoring goals and quality goals as well. Most will remember, of course, his contributions during the, the last title win under Antonio Conte. Scored some absolute crackers um, off the top of my head. I can think of one at home to Tottenham and one away at Everton. Two very, very key goals. But, um, of course, there's the Europa League last season too, um, turning up in the final. But, yeah, a very sort of underrated player, bizarrely, just in world football in general, given the amount of tro- ridiculous amount of trophies he's won. Um, but now he's off to join Roma. I always felt that his, his late agreement of a new contract sort of seemed... A bit of a compromise between him and Chelsea um, because he didn't. He was a bit unwilling to to risk um, getting injured and putting that move off. Um, but I'm glad that he got to to stick around and leave on a bit of a high. Although it's a shame that there were no Chelsea fans to pay their respects to him when he when he came on uh, against Wolves. But um, I'm, I'm sure he'll come back one day and 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 get the the classic sort of round of applause if he walks around the pitch at half time. 
Yeah, and if you've ever got half an hour to kill, just go on the uh, honours section of Pedro's Wikipedia page. It is outstanding. Uh, well, the season didn't end on Sunday for Chelsea. Champions League last 16 tie awaits in a few weeks from now. But this coming Saturday, Frank Lampard has the chance to earn his first trophy as a manager when Chelsea face Arsenal in the FA Cup final. We'll look ahead to that next. <laughs> So, Saturday sees Chelsea face Arsenal in the FA Cup final. The Blues seeking vengeance for the 2017 game when the Gunners denied Antonio Conte's team the double. Uh, in terms of team news, at Raven Knoll wants to know, do you think Kante will be fit for the FA Cup final? What formation would we use to get the best out of him and the rest of the current squad if he is fit? Simon, he's got to be a massive doubt, hasn't he? And, and even if he is technically fit to play, is he going to be match ready to come in and, and have an impact in such a massive game? Feels like deja vu, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's been the story of the season, hasn't it, for Kante, sadly? But also before the Europa League final, um, if, if if we'd been doing a podcast before that, would be uh, together, <laughs> we'd have we'd have had the same conversation. The the difference between the Europa League final and the FA Cup final is Lampard did say um, in the pre-match press conference of Wolves that he was close, um, and the injury is nowhere near as severe as as the one that he had in the Europa League ahead of the Europa League final, which he somehow played through. The the question is. Do Chelsea change a winning side and do Chelsea risk um, playing Kante like they did in the Europa League final only to then suffer the ongoing problems which has hampered him uh, essentially all season as a result? I, I almost am leaning towards, um, because it's just a hamstring to bring him back regardless, I'm, I'm still not convinced by um, having Jorginho and Kovacic in the middle of the pitch um, defensively. Um, and creative and, and creatively, um, so I'd, I'd certainly think that Chelsea would have a better chance of negating Arsenal as they did in the Europa League final with Kante destroying them in midfield like he did in Baku. Liam, I guess the other key selection issue, or is it even an issue now, is who plays in goal? It, it would be a surprise if Caballero didn't at this point, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would be very shocked if if Kepa came back in now, not just because. Caballero did nothing against Wolves to get dropped, but also because Chelsea defended with much more calmness, albeit against a team that didn't really get anything going against them. But I think, you know, that that's a real thing that, that defenders' performances are affected by the level of trust they have in the man behind them. And I think you could see at times in that Liverpool game that the uncertainty among Chelsea's defenders was amplified by the fact that that Kepa wasn't projecting any any confidence and they and they knew that if we let the other team get a shot off it, it may well be going in uh, so I'd be surprised if, if if Kepa comes back in on the on the Kante um, situation I think it's interesting because if he is fit I think that's the only circumstance in which Lampard could go back to 4-3-3 I don't think he trusts Jorginho at the base of a midfield three anymore that's been clear since the resumption but if he if he decides to go with wing backs, then I think maybe that that gives more of an opportunity for the Jorginho Kovacic axis to continue and, and have a little bit more protection. Simon Chelsea took four points off Arsenal in the league, but you know that was all pre restart. Is there much significance from those games that that we can we can put into this one? I mean, it's an Arsenal team that it's difficult to know what you're going to get from at the moment. In the same way that you'd say about Chelsea, which which makes this quite a difficult game to predict. Yeah, it is. And I think the 2017 final also showed that, that, that how goals can simply change the complexion 
of a, of a game anyway in that I remember going making that trip to Wembley and he, overhearing Arsenal fan after Arsenal fan speaking full of doom and gloom and saying they've got no chance. I'd, I'd never heard um, such conversations ahead of a cup final before when commuting and certainly when I've been commuting um, to a game involving two big London clubs where they should be on an equal footing. Um, but of course Alexis Sanchez scored what was a controversial goal and it, and it, and it completely gave Arsenal belief. Um, Chelsea will start as favourites because of their various their different positions in the league but Arsenal have, uh, have shown their quality in recent weeks and, and actually shown a new resilience in recent weeks their their, their victories over Liverpool and Manchester City um, in the semi-final of course um, were, were very un-Arsenal like so if they can defend like that and, and take the lead 1-0 then suddenly it becomes a very difficult game for Chelsea they've also got Bamiyang in in good confident mood. He scored a couple more goals in in his final league game um, at home to Watford. So um, so it, it it's not going to be easy for Chelsea to win this one. But in saying that, Chelsea will think, look at who they've beaten on the run to the final. <laughs> they've they've had an incredible run. They've not had had it easy by any means to beat uh, Liverpool, Leicester, and Manchester United, three of the uh, top five, and then they finish with. Arsenal, a London derby. It's um, they've they've shown that they can beat the best teams this season, um, and they will just want to finish the job off now. Liam, Arsenal, if they don't win, won't play in European competition next season for the first time since ninety five ninety six. How much does securing top four pre the cup final ease the pressure on Chelsea? Yeah, it certainly does, and I think it it eases the pressure on how Lampard's first season will be remembered. You know, if Chelsea hadn't made the top four, I think even winning the FA Cup would have only have gone some of the way to to redeeming that failure, really, to to meet Lampard's primary objective. So the fact that they've they've got Champions League qualification in the bag means that this is almost a bit more of a free hit. And of course, you could argue that it means more to Arsenal, but we could make the same argument about the Europa League final last year. <laughs> Arsenal needed to win that to get Champions League football and yet Chelsea were the ones who who turned up and, and took the game by the scruff of the neck. So it's hard to really connect too many dots and, and, and draw too much significance from these things. It, it, it will just come down to which team performs better on the day. Uh, and finally on the game, Simon, uh, both managers seeking their first trophies. Uh, other than the kudos that that brings, how, how does that actually benefit Lampard or, or Arteta? I, I guess it just gives them a, a bit more authority with the squad, perhaps? Like, hey, this is what I'm telling you to do, and this is the result of it. Here's your FA Cup winner's medal. Yeah, I, I think to a degree, um, but I get the impression that the players in both camps are, are, are pretty enamoured with the coach anyway. I think in these situations, I think it's huge for the the men themselves, Lampard and Arteta. I mean, Lampard loves the FA Cup, won it four times as a player. He can go to the board with such a strong, strong sort of background in sort of to say, "Look, I brought you top four football, and I brought you an FA Cup with this squad. Back me." You know, it, it strengthens his argument no end in terms of the level of spending. He's already got a couple of players on the line. I think Havertz, uh, announced Havertz, is, is <laughs> perhaps going to be soon to be uh, official. Um, but there's so much more that he'll want to do with this squad. But also I think it's just the, it relieves a bit of the pressure from outside because 
we all know in this world of social media and and, and radio phone-ins, it's very quick for things to turn and, and to say, well, what have you won? What has this guy won, etc. To To instantly have a, a, a major trophy already on your CV, this is Lampard's, this is only Lampard's second season as a coach. Um, I, I just think it, it helps relieve some of the pressure which will always be on his shoulders, but he can already sort of say, look, I've won something, despite having a squad that many people thought wasn't good enough to finish in the top four, let alone win a major trophy. Well, we will, of course, react to the final, however it goes in next week's show. Uh, and if anybody from the club is listening, dig out that lovely kit from the third round against Forest and, and let's get that on at Wembley, please. Uh, we're almost out of time for this week, but let's hear what the chaps have got planned for Athletic subscribers to read in the coming days. Liam, you've been writing up the game that you've been watching today. Yeah, so by the time you're listening to this, that will be available to read on, on The Athletic. Uh, basically, just a quite a forward-looking piece at where... Chelsea's success in the top four race actually leaves them in terms of this summer and and the momentum that that they and Lampard personally can carry into next season now and 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 the the kind of greater authority that will give him internally to to tackle the the problems in this squad and the issues that need to be addressed so that's something to read um over the next couple of weeks we have a big piece going up early next month on Chelsea's analytics operation and how data informs pretty much every every football department of the club. And I'm also working on a piece with our great analytics writer, Tom Worville, on Chelsea and possession, basically looking at whether too much possession is actually a bad thing. So stay tuned for that. Simon enjoyed your piece with Richard Nati, which is up on the site now for people to read. Uh, presumably your focus will be on the FA Cup final for the rest of this week. Yeah, that, that'll be um, a big priority. And, and one of the main sort of thrusts of that piece, we've already talked about him um, earlier in the podcast, but I'm, I'm doing a piece on Giroud, uh, of course, a player that is well known to both clubs, um, but has been a very astute uh, signing for Chelsea since joining in January 2018 for, for just £18 million. So um, I'm going to be just reflecting on the way he left, why he left, um, the story of his time at Chelsea and how he's coped with this season um, and, and the way he responded to being left out for so long. So um, a lot to get into. But yeah, certainly the cup final is going to be the main slant of the Chelsea coverage uh, from my point of view this week. Sounds good. Remember, you can get an ad-free version of the show if you listen through the Athletic app or if you're an iTunes person, leave us a five-star review if you think we're worth it. It helps other Chelsea supporters find us and it makes us feel good. Until next week, though, from Liam, from Simon and from me, it's goodbye.